Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. As you already know, a new strain of coronavirus has governments and nations nervous. Ako po si Robbie Alampay, Puma Podcast. As you listen to this, the world is on alert. The World Health Organization stresses that nobody has yet to announce a global pandemic. And the phrase public health officials use is to be on alert, not to be alarmed. No need to panic. But to emphasize why the world is anxious, we have to make two notes about this special episode. First, we recorded this one day ago, and already the numbers coming out of China have drastically changed. Two days ago, the report said nine deaths out of more than 400 cases. By now, little over 36 hours later, there are 25 deaths and 830 cases. By the time you listen to this, those numbers will have climbed further. On the other side of it, there is also something to flag about not being alarmist either. That boy from China who was quarantined in Cebu, he has now been declared as negative for the novel coronavirus. So in this special episode, we will not talk about the latest numbers. You can track that yourselves, we know. We don't even focus on government, the WHO, the CDC, not even our people. Instead, we want to focus on just one key character in this rapidly changing story. Yung kontrabida. Let's get to know and understand the enemy, the coronavirus. We spoke with one of the country's leading public health experts, a former Undersecretary of Health, and until recently, one of the highest-ranking Filipinos in the World Health Organization. I'm Susie Pineda Mercado. I'm a medical doctor. My specialization is in public health. Currently, I'm special envoy of the President for Global Health Initiatives, and I'm a consultant for the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. Okay, Dr. Mercado, let's start with the most basic one. What's a coronavirus? A coronavirus is um, a virus that is found both in humans and in animals. And it is a common virus. In fact, the common cold of human beings, about 20% of it is caused by coronavirus. In animals like cats, dogs, camels, bats, it also causes uh, minor illness. Okay, so this is not a new virus. That's right. The coronavirus uh, is one of the oldest viruses that's been identified. Uh, But it's a very peculiar virus because if the virus of one species gets in contact with the virus of another species, then it can mutate. And in recent years, some of the most um, vicious viral infections have come because of 
a mutation of a coronavirus. So in the case of SARS, this was coronavirus of a civet cat that got in touch with the human coronavirus and became lethal to human beings. Uh, what we call the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome coronavirus was a coronavirus of a camel that got in contact with the human coronavirus and again became lethal to human beings. And this current coronavirus, which is called the novel coronavirus, uh, they have not identified what animal it comes from, but uh, it is highly likely that it is an animal coronavirus that has mutated with a human coronavirus and is now causing problems to human beings. Okay, wait, I just want to make that clear. If it's a coronavirus, does it necessarily mean that it's a mixing of viruses that affects animals and viruses that affect humans? No, there are there are many kinds of coronaviruses. But when they leap from one species to another, then they can be problematic. I know I know coronavirus comes from I mean literally the word corona or crown. But what does it why what does it look like? Why is it called a coronavirus? Um it's called a coronavirus because under microscope it looks like a ball with spikes. And when you cut through it and you look at it, do a cross-section, it therefore looks like a circle with dots around it. That's what looks like a crown from a, on, a, on a microscope. Now, other than what it looks like, is there a difference between a coronavirus and your typical, if there's such a thing, your, your, your everyday run-of-the-mill viruses? What's the difference between a coronavirus and a non-coronavirus in terms of how it behaves? Well, all viruses behave in the same way. They're more primitive than bacteria. So they're usually made up of a single RNA strand. So we have DNA, right? This is, this is our genetic material, which is made out of two RNA strands. The viruses usually have only half of a DNA. And therefore, they need to be kind of like parasites to higher forms of life in order to survive. And so what they do is they infect cells of healthy organisms, and then they multiply, they take over the nucleus of that cell, and then they reproduce quickly. Even within seconds, they can produce oh, hundreds of viruses and then they uh, explode into the bloodstream. So they're, they're, they're parasitic in that sense that they need to have a host in order to multiply. You mentioned the parasitic behavior of, uh, of viruses. You also refer to its replicating. And certainly we know all its effects on other organisms. But we also know that, interestingly, there is a debate even within the scientific community, on whether or not to, to classify viruses as a living organism or non-living. This is not to settle that debate right now, but just to try to understand where, where some people are coming from. But what's your perspective on, on viruses? Are these living things or are they not? It's a living organism and it's quite primitive. It needs a host. It needs to live inside a higher form of life. 
even if some people would say this is an this is a living organism the other side of it that makes people debate whether or not to classify that as a living thing is is what you're saying as well that viruses don't actually have the capacity to replicate on their own it has to be in a certain environment where it can get its nourishment and so therefore in 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 the external environment it may have very limited life so for example the measles virus can live uh, in the air only for 2 hours after that it will die the coronaviruses have different lifespans but essentially if they don't have a host their life is very limited so they have to be inside the host in order to multiply okay let's get to this novel coronavirus what makes it different at this point okay right now what we know is that it infects human beings there's person to person transmission but it's not very clear how long the incubation period is some people are saying it's probably 3 to 7 days but we don't know that so these are the things we don't know we don't know when a person is infective can you make someone else sick can you transmit the disease when you don't have symptoms or does that only happen when you have symptoms we don't know that so all we know is that it can make human beings sick it probably came from uh, a mutation a mixing of an animal coronavirus with a human coronavirus and we also know that there's no cure for it there's no treatment and it takes uh, oh months maybe years in order to come up with a vaccine against a virus like this what are the symptoms the symptoms that we know so far are cold cough and fever cold cough fever how is that different from your your typical viral infection it's very difficult to say so far what we've seen is from the cold cough and fever it then turns into a deadly pneumonia immediately so within a couple of days and again we don't know how many days it takes because it hasn't been studied or we, we haven't seen enough cases but it quickly turns into a pneumonia that does not respond to any antibiotic so that's the difference um if it was if it was a bacterial infection then you you uh, you don't see that rapid progression and then you have medications that can cure it so it's like if i remember correctly it's like it's like the symptoms of sars a sudden a sudden uh, spike in in very extreme uh, symptoms ah uh, yes it is it's a cousin of sars sars means severe acute respiratory syndrome which was uh described in 2003-2004 again it emanated from china was also discovered in vietnam where there was an outbreak and um it actually has a 10% uh 10% fatality rate so if you get it one out of 10 of those who get it are going to die you mentioned a 10% fatality rate for sars uh Health Secretary Duque uh, was saying it was a 30% fatality rate for MERS-CoV. What's the fatality rate so far as we know? What's the fatality rate for uh, the novel coronavirus? For novel virus we don't know yet. So 
uh, what we know thus far is that there are about 400 cases and nine deaths. But it's very early to say that uh, we can compute for a case fatality rate. We don't know. Um, there are people who are saying that there could be thousands who actually have the virus but are not symptomatic or are, don't get that sick. So there are lots of things we don't know. But we do know that uh, you have nine people who have actually died from the infection. Rapidly, rapidly. Uh-huh. If, you, if, if you place that at around 2, 2.5%, if you compare that to uh, 10% for SARS and 30% for mers it certainly sounds much, much better. We'll take the 2 or even the 2 plus uh, percent. And as the numbers update, that number may go up, it may go lower. But let's peg it at 2 or even at 1%. Compared to SARS and MERS, obviously that's much, much better. But from a public health expert, I don't know how to phrase it. Is that uh, acceptable? Is that within range? Is that normal? Or is even 1% or 2% yeah. already alarming? Well, um, any, any infection that can cause death uh, within a couple of days is... Is, is an infection that, that is alarming because other infections can be treated with antibiotics or other viral, or when we're talking about viral infections, uh, they're self-limiting. So you get sick for a while, but you don't die. So this one is deadly. So it's a, it's a very virulent kind of, uh, kind of bacteria, of, of virus. And, and therefore it is, it is, uh, something that causes rapid and premature death. As with all viral infections, we are always told, you know, the good thing about viral infections is that they are always self-limiting. So if it's, uh, whether it's a common cold, for example, or a flu, we're all told, bed rest, drink lots of water, take a few days, it will be self-limiting. Why are viral infections self-limiting? They're self-limiting because uh, they have a lifespan. So, for example, the measles virus, when it enters your body, or the dengue virus, when it enters your body, it can only live so long. Uh, they're so primitive that they can't live more than you know a week or two. So that's why they're self-limiting. Namamatay sila agad. Unlike like a human being has a lifespan of 75, 80 100 years, these these organisms, uh, they die right away. Okay, let me, let me see if I'm, I'm getting this. So what you're, what you're really saying it is, is that notwithstanding the self-limiting nature of, of this virus, people can die before the, before the body can, can cope or fight back uh, and defeat uh, the effects of this of this virus. In other words, because of the suddenness and the severity of the symptoms and the effects, sometimes a, a virus comes along and notwithstanding its short lifespan. Uh, it overwhelms the body. So, for example, in dengue, it causes, uh, the dengue virus causes the blood vessels to be leaky they they uh the water or the fluids exude through the blood vessels and therefore 
a patient could hemorrhage, could dehydrate, lose, lose, uh, lose uh, fluids, and go into shock. So at at the height of their replication, they can overwhelm the body. In the case of this particular novel coronavirus, what they're seeing are they call them pock marks of the lungs. So apparently they're a, they're so destructive to the lung that they cause these pock marks all over both lungs within a few days. So that's how they overwhelm that's how they overwhelm the 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 human being. They attack a certain part of the system that causes that human being to die. So let me see if I just really want to get this uh, correct. So Basically, the virus is self-limiting, but it attacks so fast and the impact is so great, especially for vulnerable uh, people, that it will basically kill before it dies. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Um, viruses have their own lifespan. And the lifespan of the virus is short because they are primitive organisms. However, at the height of their replication, when they reproduce so rapidly, there could be so much, vi- they call it the viral load. You could have so much virus in your body that it overwhelms a certain part of your system. In the case of the novel coronavirus, it overwhelms the respiratory system. And that's what causes an individual to to die prematurely. So those who have uh, weaker immune systems, like older persons or very young children, could be very susceptible to a virus like this. Okay, so at this point, we're really scared. On the other hand, public health officials are saying you don't have to be scared. But between those two things, what are the WHO, the CDC, and public health officials all over the world doing in the meantime? At this point, the public health community is trying to understand what we are dealing with. And that's why cooperation of countries is very important. Particularly the country, the country where the infection starts. So wherever an infection starts, in order to be able to study what we have, then you would have to investigate 
the the uh, what we call the uh, patient zero, right? The first one who got it. And what kind of species, in the case of coronavirus, what kind of species with coronavirus mutated with a human coronavirus? Because then you would understand what it looks like, what might have happened, what are the characteristics, and so on. And then when you have these patients, you can start uh, calculating or estimating what is the incubation period, what is the infectivity rate, like if one person is sick, how many more can that person infect in what period of time and so on. So right now we're trying to just characterize or describe or understand the behavior of the virus in the human body so that uh, one could put in the right measures. Because, for example, if we understand the mode of transmission, we know exactly how it is transmitted from one person to another, then we can advise people on what to do. So, for example, if we know that a virus is only transmitted through direct contact, meaning you or I have to touch uh, the bodily fluids of another person and touch our mouth or nose or uh, food before we can get it, then it's about using gloves, it's about social distancing, and so on. But if, for example, the transmission is airborne, meaning the virus can live in the air, then you have a completely different way of uh, avoiding exposure and managing uh, transmission. Because that means that hospitals and places where a sick person would go would have to be shut down. So uh, when we know the mode of transmission, then it will reduce our fear because we know exactly what to avoid. People, the public, seem to be taking a number of things as red flags. One, of course, is on the lookout for, for symptoms. But the other one specifically is looking at everyone and everything that comes out of Wuhan in China. How fair is that? Uh, and are those automatically red flags? And on the other side of it, what are not necessarily red flags? And at bottom, how do we determine whether or not things are in fact related to the coronavirus? Okay, so um, when we're now looking at who might be patients that we need to observe, so we first look at Okay, they have symptoms, right? So they're having a cold, they have a cough, and they have fever, okay? So then there are three, three other things we need to know now in the history of the patient. One is, did this patient come actually from Wuhan? That's one, right? Second, was this patient in close contact with somebody from Wuhan who's being observed because of symptoms? Or third, is this patient... Uh, being observed uh, because the patient has been in touch with somebody with confirmed novel coronavirus. So those are the three kind of categories of patients that we would be observing. Now, um, we can't make conclusions until confirmatory laboratory tests are done. And usually what they'll do is they'll do 
two laboratories independently uh, study the study the sample or the the uh, the specimen, and if they they both confirm it, then you could have then then you could say it's confirmed. It takes a couple of days, I think. Are those facilities and technologies here? Do we have the capability to test and confirm on our own? Yes, we have the capability to do that at the Research Institute for Tropical Medicine. But in order to validate, we would send it to Japan or to Australia or to whatever the reference laboratory is that's uh, most convenient for us. And so that's part of an international network of laboratories that we call reference laboratories. They 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 run the same test so that you just you're just sure that you have a confirmation because uh, on the side of the patient, right, it's unfair if uh, just because the patient, uh, let's say, sat across the plane with somebody who's being observed that you immediately declare that this patient has that disease, that's not fair. So it really has to be based on a laboratory-confirmed diagnosis. Your patient zero is literally one person. We We ultimately really trace it back to to one person and we then say that it started with you ikaw talaga ikaw talaga si patient zero sayo talaga nangyari this mixing of of the virus from an animal with a virus that you hosted as a human well yes it's always one person there's always one for for the for the virus to jump species it has to happen just once Patient zero is literally the first person to ever be infected, the laboratory for the mixing of of this virus that affected animals and human viruses. Typically, it will be the first one who dies. Because if it happened to somebody who lived, then we have no way of knowing, isn't it? So it's the first one that dies. Because that's the one where... You, you realize that you're dealing with a lethal kind of an infection. You know, you could get infected and then nothing happens to you. And in this particular case, it looks like we have a lot more people who are asymptomatic or are just having flu-like symptoms and are not having to end up in a, uh, you know, in an intensive care unit. So... Uh, as you were saying earlier, if it's 2.53%, um, it's relatively low compared to MERS and compared to SARS. Uh, but it's still not something that, that you want to take lightly because it, it is 2 or 3% that, could be, that should be zero. It should be zero. So what should be our emotion now as, as individuals, as parents, as children, as children of elderly and as a as a community, as a as a country, as a world, what should be our emotion and driving uh, driving value right now? I don't think we should be alarmed. I think we should be concerned. I think we should be vigilant. Historically, the Philippines has done well in terms of um, actually tracking down cases of uh, SARS. And uh, right now, the fact that we were able to pick up a five-year-old in Cebu means that the system is working. Now, can things go out of hand? That's anybody's guess. 
pwede talagang mangyari na kumalat siya. What is important for the public to know and to understand always is the mode of transmission. Because that is the one that will help you avoid getting sick. Okay, Dr. Mercado, so what do we do now? I mean, on, on an individual level, as we wait for, for governments and public health officials, the WHO, the CDC, all these agencies, as we wait for everyone to figure this out and for scientists to tell us what the behavior uh, of this virus is, what should what can we be doing on an individual and family level the usual the usual pandemic preparedness actions are uh hand washing uh and this is real hand washing you know scrubbing the back of your hands scrubbing the, your your nails washing your hands very well frequently the reason behind this is if this virus can survive on a doorknob, for example, or on an elevator button. And we touch our faces maybe 15 to 20 times in an hour. But how many times do we wash our hands in an hour? We barely do, right? So washing of hands, using of alcohol gels are going to be good. And um, if this worsens, then when you're in public wearing a pair of gloves, it's not a bad idea. Because when you touch different surfaces and you have gloves on, it's not likely that you're going to touch your face because you know you're wearing gloves. Okay, if it's airborne, then it's the N95 mask. And it's the N95 mask worn properly. Now, the other thing is not to cough or sneeze publicly. So you're supposed to sneeze into a, a handkerchief or into your, your sleeve and avoid people who are coughing or who have a cold. And then the other one is to make sure that you're eating safe food. So that means that food has to be at about 41 degrees uh, in terms of temperature. It has to be hot when you eat it. So those, because you don't know if it lands on food, if it will, you know, if it will live or die, right? So, yeah, so the the uh, the measures that we take are related to. Uh, just making sure that you don't have unnecessary contamination of your nose, your mouth, your eyes because of your hands or because of how you are breathing, what you're breathing. Okay, so we've discussed how the world and our leaders and our scientists are responding. We've discussed what we can be doing and how we should be behaving. How is the virus behaving right now? Um, um, are we imagining this virus as still mutating? As still The evolving? coronavirus is notorious for mutation. It is what you call a wicked virus. It's always changing. And is it possible that mutates? Yes, it, it is. And this is why we have to control its spread among human beings. We don't know how it's behaving. It's an unstable organism. So how do we stop the virus? Is there, and based on our experience with SARS and MERS-CoV and past pandemics or even past potential pandemics, how did we do it? How, how do we stop this in its tracks, if that's at all possible? So in order to stop 
the reproduction of this virus, you have to break the chain of transmission by isolating the people who get the virus. So, for example, three people are infected and you put them in isolation, then the virus has nowhere to go. This is how you stop it. So, in a way, you're creating dead ends for this essentially short-living uh, uh, virus. You're, you're creating dead ends. One is by um, isolate. One dead end could be isolating people who are infected. Another dead end is for people who are infected, unfortunately, to die. And if they die, uh, the virus dies with them unless they can jump to another another thing and another dead end is to try to uh, to stop um, the mixing of these viruses uh, from animals with the viruses of, of humans. So this is also the way SARS and MERS-CoV were stopped. The patients who got it were treated. Those who those who survived survived, but there were people who died, and of course the virus died with them. So then uh, those who survived, their bodies were also able to overcome the virus through their own antibodies and their immune systems. And then the virus has nowhere to go. So what you have after that is just the original old viruses that did not mutate and they're staying within their species. So the coronavirus of the cat stays with the cat and the coronavirus of the human stays with the human and they're very mild infections. Okay, so there's a few things we know, a lot of things we still don't know. What comes next? Until we know more about this virus, I don't think we have to be in panic. The virus is spreading in certain parts of the world where there is what we call community transmission, meaning you, you don't know anymore where it started, who's bringing it. That's not our situation here in the Philippines. I think the thing is to monitor the news. And then once we understand the mode of transmission, that is the most important thing we need to know, how it is transmitted. Once we know how it is transmitted, all we need to do is to follow the instructions of the Department of Health on how to break that chain of transmission. So right now, we're just in a wait-and-see mode and hope for the best, at the same time, maintain very high levels of hygiene. Maraming salamat, Dr. Susie Pineda Mercado. Thank you. And that's it for this special episode of Puma Podcast. If you like this episode, please tell a friend and share it. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and please do subscribe to us. Puma Podcast is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Maraming maraming salamat po. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> 